So let's get into it. The idea for Biosphere 2 began on Synergia Ranch, led by charismatic visionary John Allen in the early 1970s. The residents of said ranch took part in activities like experimental theater and farming. It was basically like a whole counterculture commune typical of the era, but marked by innovation, ecology, research, and theater instead of like drugs. Synergia is the belief that the sum of two parts were greater than the whole. Similarly, Biosphere 2 was built on the idea that every part and piece and member of the experiment would result in something greater than themselves. And so they were able to gain the support and money of Ed Bass, who belonged to a family of billiards. Yeah, maybe it's worth mentioning that um, Ed Bass was considered like a rebel in his own family because of like what he chose to invest in and stuff so it just kind of like added to the whole revolutionary or like innovative nature of the concept of designing this biosphere. The Biosphere 2 was an enclosed space meaning it had its own atmosphere, ecosystems, plants, and animals. It consisted of the different biomes that represent the diverse range of climates and environment existing on earth such as the desert, rainforest, and ocean complete with its, complete with its own coral reef. The eight Biospherians were supposed to live in this isolated ecosystem for exactly two years, with nothing going in and nothing going out. Well, that was not the case. The Biospherians ended up staying in the biome for two years and 20 minutes, and many things, including the Biospherians, went in and out and also went wrong. Despite the low morale and conflict, the group continued to work in harmony to ensure the experiment's goals would be met. And that's because they knew that anything that went wrong would directly and immediately impact their own health. So they had, and they also had a very strong bond with the world they lived in because they literally helped build it. I remember in the um, documentary that we watched, Spaceship Earth, uh, one of the women was talking about how she had a relationship with each and every single plant in the rainforest because she interacted with each and every plant. And um, I also remember reading that one of the Biospherians, after he left the Biosphere, he would go into a grocery store and he would just be like standing in the aisle looking at products and thinking like, how can I eat this? I don't know where this came from. It contains so many ingredients. And he was like, how can everyone just eat the things and not know where it's coming from? Because that's what he had been so used to doing. And um, I think like them working in harmony, even though that they were basically enemies at that point, um, it was like this connection with their own environment was what helped them survive. Um, when in other experiments, similar experiments, uh, warring factions tended to lead to sabotage of the own experiment. So do you guys have any thoughts on that? So going back to what I said in the beginning of uh, wilderness being thought of as like this colonial concept, I think that's the conclusions that all the eight scientists made at the end of them being very connected to the world they live in um, and that person having a name and connection with every single plant is something that I think is really important now to look at too as we think about um climate change and 
climate justice and all these huge issues, uh, just remembering that that we have this very personal connection to the planet and that it's not this people are here and the planet is there. It's like we are together. And I think that um, the biosphere, even though it didn't have the most strong academic conclusions, at least had that one very strong um, conclusion for like us as people as we, um, I guess, move into the future with climate change as our reality. I think that like connection between the person and the environment they live in is what leads people to advocate so strongly for the environment they live in. Um, I remember in the documentary Spaceship Earth when they left the biosphere, uh, a lot of the people kept saying, a lot of the members in the biosphere who were in the biosphere were saying how they wish they could go back. The new management came in and kind of destroyed a lot of the progress or like the kind of homes they had made for themselves for the past two years. They were deeply upset because they had such a strong connection to each and every aspect of the place they lived in. That connection to the environment that the biosphere has had is what led them to wanting to protect it, which we don't have with our environment. Like they knew where their food was coming from, what air they were breathing, um, how they were going to dispose of their waste. And we know none of that kind of stuff. And I think we don't really appreciate the world that we live in because we don't know all of that information. Needless to say, the Biosphere 2 was kind of a mess. Board members were quitting, they were losing money, the Biospherian's health was declining, and the media was ripping the experiment apart. And all Ed Bass could see was how much money he was losing. So this is when Steve Bannon, an investment banker specialized in takeovers, did what he was specialized in, takeovers. His goal was to simply just start making money. And in the process, he seemed to shun scientific research and analysis aside. When Biosphere 2 was eventually transferred to the ownership of the University of Arizona in 2011, many of the data had been lost, with only a fraction having been analyzed and thoroughly researched. So this is kind of like a metaphor, right, to like our Earth, or like what are your guys' thoughts on this? It's interesting to know that the person who was funding this, Ed Bass, um, decided to pull out when it was no longer profitable to him. So just repeating the facts, like reiterating the fact that billionaires will not save us and that privately funded projects, although important for maybe scientific discoveries, do not trump the power of revolution or anything like that. Also important to note that um, when he was funding the experiment, he thought it could be something that he could make a lot of money out of. Like he thought he could patent the water systems they used or all the research that they gained because like this idea would explode into new space exploration. And he thought it would be a really, it was a very smart research investment that would lead to him making millions or even billions of, dollar, billions of dollars in the future. And that didn't happen. Um, like you can't start a research experiment with the idea that you might make money because when that added pressure is on, like Shruti was saying, you can't really make significant gains. And also think it's really sad that they lost a lot of the data that had been taken down during the experiment, that they, they lost like a significant amount of it. Like who knows what we could have learned from that kind of data. At the end of the documentary, um... Yeah, I remember it said, like, kind of as a caption at the end that 
Abbas, after Juve had taken over, he donated 30 million in funding for the biosphere. So while, yeah, I definitely agree that it should not be viewed as a business, money is definitely a significant factor in keeping all of this going. A lot of research nowadays is being privatized. For example, like SpaceX recently, um, Elon Musk just launched that. And it's kind of like perhaps the beginning of more space exploration leading, uh, being led by privatized companies. But I guess like he, maybe he should have come up with a backup plan if, you know, it didn't, this research venture didn't explode into something amazing. But I feel like he could have eventually made money off of it if they had just done it in a more productive way. Um, I just want to say really quickly that Akila was saying in the very beginning about how the biosphere, like all the money they put into having these eight people go and conduct this experiment, they could have put into having or fixing, preserving biosphere one. They're actually conducting a lot of that research right now. So I feel like it's not fair to say it was a complete failure because I know when I went, they said they were um, they were designing something about, I don't know what the exact experiment was, but something about the coral reef to keep them from dying, to implement some kind of like CO2 structure to stop them from dying at such a fast rate. But yeah, I feel like it's definitely a lot, or it's conducting a lot of important work now that needs to be more recognized than what it was doing when it was like at the peak of media attention. Yeah, I guess, like, the actual experiment itself just had way too many factors to control, and I guess experimentation isn't really done on such a large scale with so many different factors going into it. But I was going to ask you what your experience was visiting Biosphere 2. I think it was, like, really interesting to see how so many different habitats can coexist in the same space. Because most of the habitats weren't even separated by a room or a wall or anything. It was like the rainforest was like right there and kind of not like a half wall over. There was like a desert. So it was really interesting to see how all those different things could happen in the same space. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. It was definitely a unique experience. I recommend if you're interested in seeing how all this research works. They definitely didn't go into as much detail about the history of the biosphere as I would have liked to see in the tour, probably to avoid talking about how it kind of collapsed at the end, but I definitely learned a lot more from the documentary than I did going there. But if you want to see about just how environments work, I guess it's a good ecological lesson to go and tour there. Um, Akila, I really liked what you said at the beginning about the wilderness being othered. Okay, so I guess I started thinking about it when I was reading Thoreau, not really out of, I was enjoying it, I was just reading it because someone sent it to me. And I guess in a lot of poetry, there's, especially like poetry from the 1900s, there's this idea of nature as um, something you can gaze upon rather than be with, if that makes any sense. So for example, in Thoreau's poetry, um, and like writing, uh, they go into the forest and they they talk about nature in this way that feels very predatory, very colonial, very um, I am exerting power over what's around me, and that's very different than a lot of. That's not that's a very new concept, um, 
usually there's no concept of wilderness there's just the earth in a lot of traditions and cultures and it's very much like a western concept to be like oh here are these national parks or here are these or for example here's this biosphere where we are interacting with nature very purposefully when that's supposed to just be a thing that we do every day in our lives maybe you already said this when you were talking and i just missed it but it has a lot to do with like white colonization as well when we're talking about like native culture and how it's very intertwined with nature and um the act of taking and giving from nature and how a lot of western culture through colonization put civilization in a place where nature is apart from it so maybe that relates to Thoreau yeah I think like the native culture is to coexist with your environment and yeah like use its resources but not exploit it and but the minute white colonizers stepped on the land it was more about how can we use this land how can we just um how can we just kill all the buffalo to use it instead of like having a more of a relationship with the world around us but I guess that also comes into with like you know the population boom and urbanization it's like how do we how do we do both and I think like for the biospherians they were living in literally three different biomes like a whole other biosphere and there were only eight of them and they were still not able to properly like feed themselves or do other things without outside help so how realistically would we stay connected to the nature and environment around us when we all like live in urban areas yeah i think that's a really important question i've definitely been thinking a lot about it especially like this idea that nature is now a privilege like who can afford to drive to national parks and there's a fee associated with them too just to like be able to hike which is ridiculous um, but yeah, I think that being able to reclaim nature is, it's really sad. That's something we have to do, but I think that's a really important question. I don't have any answers, but I'm glad you asked it. I think there are different ways to approach a lifestyle where you interact with nature in a more natural way. Um, I think us in the cities, we have to go out of our way, yes, and we do have to sometimes use up resources like money to have that kind of access, but a lot of other people kind of take it as a calling to interact with nature on a daily basis and people do things like live in vans and like explore different areas. And I mean, for us, it's more like, let's go hiking because we're Arizonans and that's our way to connect with nature. But for other people, um, their way to connect with nature is more accessible i suppose and even that is kind of just because how small the reservations have gotten and how corporate america is basically preying on their land yeah like going back to what akila was saying about how your interaction with nature depends on like how much money you have like urban centers are usually more lower income and they can't have you know like easy access to nature i guess and also like backyards like backyards cost a lot of money like towards the end of the vice for two the wall street banker just came in and rolled over all the research that was being done 
And I remember in the documentary, I think they were trying to make a connection between that and how in the real world and even with environmental research and advocacy and change that is being going on right now, there's always like that Wall Street banker type that just storms in and bulldozes over all the innovators and scientists and thinkers and they make it all about getting money instead of um, what kind of research to be done. So while I think Biosphere 2 might have made a lot of scientific mistakes and maybe didn't have much scientific research coming out of it, I think it's a really good lesson for how society can work or like how society deals with an environmental change and how the future of space exploration and environmental reform will occur. Okay, I'd like to go on the record that Palami is bullying me to say this. So here it is, exactly how she wanted me to say it. Thanks for listening and tune in on the next episode to listen to us speak more. So the biospherans, while they did sometimes have a limited food supply, tried to make treats for themselves. And um, like Amrita was saying earlier, that biospherin that went through the grocery aisles and wasn't able to comprehend how everyone was okay with eating it without knowing the ingredients. And this came in part because they had to work really hard for those small treats. At one point, they made pizza for themselves and they had to grow wheat for four months before thrashing it into dough as well as wait for onions and tomatoes to ripen. And they actually had three goats that they used for milking and the goats' names were Milky Way, Stardust, and Vision. And at one point they made their own cheese and ice cream. Also, they used cockroaches to deal with their organic waste. Just thought that was interesting. Akil, are you good? She just like punched the air. <laughs> no, I was throwing my peanut coverings into the guava tree. Oh. <laughs>